On Tuesday, the 23rd of May, the Victorian Government handed down its budget, and it is significant. Comments about the COVID credit card account for 18% of the total of $173.4 billion of government sector borrowings. While this budget forecasts interest expenses, the interest expense, at $5.6 billion in 2023-2024. That's the equivalent of about $177 for each second, or costing around $6,195 in interest since I started speaking. Time is money. It's staggering stuff, isn't it? With the Victorian um, state having the highest debt per capita in Australia. And it means significant sacrifices will need to be made. Just ask the three to 4,000 public service staff who will soon be looking for work. There is no way to escape the fact that when you owe a debt, you must sacrifice to pay for it. It's true for spending and it's true for sin. Someone somewhere must pay. If only there was a better sacrifice to pay for it. Let me pray. Jesus, as we take time to delve into your word, would you delve into us? Would you renew in us a quickening and an awareness of, of what it is that you want to say to us today. That you would wrap your arms around us, that you would brood over us, that you would minister to us, awaken in us a, a renewed understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got to say, being in debt isn't much fun because when we owe something to someone, it binds us, it restricts us in what we do. And so to free ourselves from debts, we sacrifice. We give up things in order to free ourselves from a debt that we owe. Sin, in some ways, is like a debt because when we sin, when we live selfishly, when we live my way, when we steal credit, when we envy, when we stuff up, when we break the law, when we, we end up owing, we owe an apology, we pay a fine, we make restitution, we make amends. And as much as we might like to want to avoid this topic, the reality is that most of the movies or the TV shows that we watch, we consume, uh, it, it all talks about the desire to somehow see good overcome evil in whatever form it takes. Because deep down inside, we know that we are the ones who are in need of saving. Saving from the evil that seeks to enslave us. And so we look for saving through self-medication, through social media, through internet images, or the accumulation of more stuff that drives us into further debt. 
yet we still sin. We may not mean to, but we do. And the reality is that before a perfect God, sin has no bell curve. There is no sweeping it under the carpet or pretending that it doesn't matter. And so we find ourselves in debt. Back at the start of it all, when the wheels were set in motion, where sin led to death and something needed to be sacrificed to cover over it. We see it evident in Genesis chapter 3. The story is told of Adam and Eve who sinned and through their sin came the death of innocence. And while they did a poor patch job to remedy it, sewing fig leaves together to cover the death of innocence, God stepped in. And when God stepped in, he sacrificed part of his creation and made an animal skin cover to cover over what was lost. An animal died. Its life was lost to address the very first sin. And in the following chapters in Genesis, when Cain kills his brother, and on this occasion, Abel's lifeblood soaked into the ground, and God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. So from the very beginning, we see three themes, themes come together. Sin causes a death or a loss of something, a debt that needs to be paid. And the blood of another can bring about the covering of sin. And life is symbolised through blood. And last week, Samantha spoke about the, the, the significance of a covenant relationship. Covenants were sealed or signed in some way. But the most significant covenants, the way of establishing it, was the word was used to cut a covenant. We see this in Genesis 15, verses 7 to 18. Then the Lord told him, this is to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that, this will, uh, that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. And he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram Abraham chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great health. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, 
your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites are not yet warrant, uh, do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Animals cut in half, carefully laid in a line. What the heck is going on with that? Well, this is a, a, a concept that was familiar in their day. It's quite unfamiliar for us today. When a covenant was struck, an agreement was reached, and promises were made, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, what the two parties would do was they would walk between the cut animals. And the symbolism was that if I break my agreement with you, may what happened to these animals also be done to me. It was known as cutting of a covenant. And through the lifeblood of a perfect animal, purification is administered to what the blood touches. Moses did this with the Hebrew nation, sprinkling them with blood to confirm their agreement of the covenant between God and his people in Exodus 24. And later, Aaron uses blood to purify the most holy place in the tabernacle in Leviticus 16. But just as Sam shared last week, an old covenant sealed with the blood of an animal failed because the people continued to sin. And despite the repetition of sacrifices, the debt was covered, but it was never truly paid for. So why on earth would you go through all of this when the hope was never fully realised? Well, God established the Old Testament sacrificial system as a way of holding the relationship together, basically almost like gaffer taping it together until it could be properly fixed, until a better sacrifice could come along, a better sacrifice that would achieve more than a temporary measure. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it speaks of a better sacrifice that was achieved through Jesus. Hebrews 9, 18 to 28. That's why the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of the God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant made God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified by a far better uh, with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, 
which is only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Because of who Jesus is, this sinless, eternal God the Son, coming into the world and through his death on the cross for our sins, he is the better sacrifice. Through Jesus' better sacrifice, he seals a better covenant. One that, as we were reminded of last week, a better covenant that is written on our hearts, not in a book of rules and lists of things to do. It isn't about following these rules that we just tick off. Instead of following rules, we follow a saviour. Jesus walked through the cutting uh, of the covenant and rather than us dying because of our failure to fulfil it, Jesus pays the debt and dies in our place. As it's been said, Jesus pays the price that we couldn't pay for a debt that he didn't owe. So through Jesus, a better sacrifice, we enter into a better covenant and the price, the debts of our sins and the breaking of the covenant have already been paid for. And as the writer of the Hebrews reminds us, this is paid once and for all time. Jesus doesn't have to offer himself again and again for our sins like the shadow sacrifices were offered. Under the old covenant, because people kept sinning, sacrifices had to keep being made. Because the sacrifices were not perfect in dealing once and for all for sin and what we owed. And through Jesus, a better sacrifice, um, we as followers of Jesus are transformed and purified into a better temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, we read this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus, uh, is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit, a better temple, a better tabernacle than what we had in the past. 
Jesus, a better sacrifice, is able to achieve more and do more out of love for us, both in the past, the present, but also for the future. In the past, Jesus paid the price and died for our sins, offering himself as a better sacrifice once and for all. Jesus, through his sacrifice, is now interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God the Father. And we have been purified by Jesus' death on the cross that enables us to live better lives right now. And in the future, because Jesus has once for all time, through his better sacrifice, dealt with our sins, the debt that we owed has been paid. And he will not come again, he will come again not to deal with our sins, but instead to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. You know, there's a great resource that's been produced by the Bible Project that helps to reinforce and and maybe through animation it can help to solidify some of the things that we've been looking at today in the book of Hebrews. So I encourage you to turn your, your attention to the screen for a few minutes as we watch this short video from the Bible Project. Thanks so much. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Yeah, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. So this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's debt. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. 
And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in this world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Hopefully that was helpful. Today we see people settle for less. Uh, They settle for less by making self-sacrifices to deal with broken relationships and because of their stuff-ups and their strife. But guilt 
and shame can easily grind us down because we settle for our own striving, which will never help us to live life truly well in the way that God intends. But when we come to Jesus and accept his sacrifice on our behalf, then what we do is we respond to the horizontal debts that we owe and they are transformed because of the vertical change that takes place because of our relationship with Jesus. Because we know the meaning of forgiveness, because we have experienced it, we are in a better place to be able to forgive others who we believe owe us. Because we know the cost of our sin and our stuff-ups, we're in the better place to seek forgiveness from others. And today, every time we experience baptism, we see someone getting baptised. And every time we spend time around the table, remembering communion, we remember that Jesus died as that perfect sacrifice, that better sacrifice for us, so that we can live life well under a new covenant, purified by the blood of Jesus and live debt free. And isn't that good news? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that even though we, we can see the staggering debt that we as a, a, a state owe, Lord, that pales into insignificance to the debt we owe because of our sin, because of our brokenness, our selfishness, that we ought to die for that. But you die in our place and you offer us forgiveness through the price that you paid for a debt that we owed. We thank you that you are a better sacrifice and that our striving to make things right in our own strength pales into insignificance and, and, and we settle for less when we do it that way rather than seeking you first, finding forgiveness in you and offering and receiving forgiveness in our relationships with one another. Yes, we still need to make things right. But Lord, we make things right because of what you are doing in us. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Amen. So how do we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions. And, and there was a, a metaphor or an example that um, was shown in that video about vandalism and the, the effect of sin being like vandalism in our society. How does that affect and change the way you view sin? In what ways are you trying to make up for the past? And how does Jesus' better sacrifice change how you understand forgiveness and living life well? There's going to be some music played. I encourage you to take some time to, to use those response cards for those at home, to use the chat function, or for those that are watching this recording later, you can feel free to contact us as well with your responses. But some music's going to be played, and we encourage you to respond to the things that God's been saying to you today. God bless you. Thank you.